Like it, it just takes all this psychic energy. Like I, for me, it's driving. Like I just, I, you know, it drives me crazy when people are driving slow in the left lane or their car's a piece of crap and they can't go more than 35 miles an hour on their country road and we live in the country. But then you start thinking about it and it's just completely insane. Like why would you wreck your day because somebody has a crappy car? Like it just doesn't matter. But, you know, we get sucked into this because it's like we give ourselves power or we delude ourselves into thinking we have power if everything offends us. Whereas, you know, in today's culture, if you're unoffendable, that is like being Superman. Like yeah. that is a, That's a superpower. Hey, guys, this is Coach K, and you're listening to the Making Changes, Breaking Barriers podcast, where we talk about you. This is about you, your mind, and your path. So I'm very excited to share today's episode with you guys. This is going to be a guest episode with actually two of my previous clients, Tim and May Hindmarsh. They are a married couple who live here in Oregon. Both are practicing physicians. And yeah, we worked together with me as their coach, helping them on their health journey, kind of getting their fitness and their nutrition in check. But they are actually also podcast hosts themselves and uh, have just really, really fun backgrounds. So today's episode is going to dive into things such as why staying fit and healthy is important for lifelong health, how to battle back from injuries, how to stay married for the long term. And also May is going to dig deep a little bit into a past trauma experience that she had. So I did want to give a little bit of a just a disclaimer to anyone who's listening in case that is going to be a trigger for you. May is going to talk about an experience she had with childhood sexual abuse and how that led to bulimia and anorexia and how she battled that for many years and how it is even something that she um, has overcome, but, you know, still deals with to this day in, in certain ways. So that is going to be a topic of discussion for today. It's a great conversation, and I really hope that you tune in. So a little bit about Tim and May. They are the hosts of the BS Free MD podcast. Both are board certified family practice physicians who have led diverse careers in rural medicine. Both have almost 30 years of diverse experience in family practice, hospital medicine, and urgent care. As a successfully married couple for 30 plus years, they love to have an honest and real discussion about what makes a relationship work. They discuss work life balance and the four F's to success. Faith, family, finances, and fun. Noted to be a dual physician power couple and faith-based physicians, they have managed to juggle raising kids, careers, and maintain a balanced marriage along with personal interests and interdependence. In 2021, this was a big year for Tim and May. They ventured into the private practice of medicine, helping establish Ridgeway Health, which is a local private urgent care clinic. Both have been frontline physicians during the COVID pandemic, working almost exclusively in COVID clinics from 2020 through 2022. And also in 2021, they launched the BS Free MD podcast. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy today's conversation. Um, and if you want more of it, go and check out their podcast. Their episodes are awesome, very informative, and also very entertaining. They are passionate and love laughing at their medical experiences, as well as getting into serious discussions on the issues in healthcare today. So let's go ahead and jump into the interview with Tim and May. All right, May and Tim, thank you guys <laughs> for being here with me. I'm so excited to have you guys on the podcast. Uh, likewise, thanks for having us, Christina, after being on our show. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, this is course. just great. 
Yeah, I had so much fun being on your guys' show. I'm excited for that to to be released. And so, um, yeah, I figured why not just have you guys on mine. And like I said, right before we started the recording, we've never had a hard time figuring out what to talk about for an hour. <laughs> so I'm sure this will be eventful, but I wanted to start off, you know, I obviously just gave my listeners a little bit about uh, a bio about you guys, but I wanted to start off by having each of you just talk a little bit about your background, um, you know, from a career standpoint, but also I would love to hear a little bit about your background when it comes to like physical fitness and health as well well maybe some challenges that you guys have have had or even wins that you've had and then we can definitely dig into that a little bit more as we go who you want to start sure i'll, I'll start <laughs> i uh, yeah i um we may and i both grew up in canada i grew up in uh, saskatoon a city of i don't know it's about three hundred thousand people now in the prairies so i always was doing individual sports water skiing downhill skiing which sucked there i had to travel for eight hours to find actual mountains and then i got into running when i was 19 years old and it, it completely changed my life um i would have never got into medical school it helped me focus it kept me fit you know i lost a little bit of weight but at that point that wasn't really an issue and then fast forward uh at the end of residency i started running more again and uh ended up running 12 marathons which was great. That that sort of was my sport, but it was always because I wanted to stay fit and have a reason to stay fit so I could windsurf and ski and all of these other activities. So, and I was bulletproof, which was great. You know, I, I went over the handlebars or through bikes. I don't know how many times I've crashed super hard skiing and nothing ever happened in until it did. And I think a big part of the story, cause I was by my, I was almost 50 by the time I had my first knee surgery and um, that is a game changer. And as we get into May's story, it'll be, you know, even more poignant for your, your listeners. The, you have to be willing to start over because stuff is not going to be the same as it always was. That is a really, really good point. Um, I chafe a little bit when people say age is just a number. Uh, well, so is net worth. <laughs> so but it's meaningful it's meaningful <laughs> yes it's very meaningful so yeah uh being able to adapt as time goes by um and having a reason to stay active i think if i was going to give any unsolicited advice to somebody um because there is kind of that would be it because there is this thing that i call the curse of the active person when you're super active young and you don't get injured you will get injured like there's a time where you will have injuries, where you will have to take time off. That's if you go into activity, knowing that that's part of the story, it makes it a lot easier to keep going because we've seen lots of our friends and our kids, parents that were tremendous athletes as younger people. They got some setbacks with life or pregnancies or injuries, and they just, just entirely quit. And, and that makes us sad actually like really makes us sad yeah and like you said i mean when you're active from a young age you all you know i mean like you mentioned you're bulletproof until you're not right like all you know is you're able to just keep going keep going keep going um you that doesn't mean you don't fall down at some times like you said falling over your handlebars or your bike that's like my worst nightmare by the way <laughs> i've gotten into road biking recently and i hope that never i mean i don't think that's oh. a normal road biking thing to do that's more of like a mountain biking thing to do but um 
yeah my if i could just never <laughs> fall off that road bike i would be so happy but yeah you just don't get used to it and then it's great that you're active obviously overall that's a positive thing but you get to you know an older age and at some point you're going to get injured and just knowing how to deal with that a lot of people don't understand so i i totally um get where you're coming from with that tim and i want to ask you more about your marathons before i get into that though let i'm going to give a may a chance here to to give her background a little bit oh you might not get a chance to ask him and if i start talking about my <laughs> sword my sordid story but anyway mm. i'll keep mine brief and you can pick and choose what to ask me after that um i joke that tim dragged me into doing most of those crazy extreme sports and activities w along with him and i was the one that was getting injured and hurt which actually is the truth um mostly because you'd have been such a good skydiver though. i don't know why you, i don't know why you said no to that <laughs> oh i don't I, I you've never skydived me is that right? yes no i have i've gone oh, you have. i've i've didn't get my own license i've gone tandem but it was super fun but i'm like someone has to keep legs and be able to be able to look after the kids and i've had so many i had so many orthopedic injuries at that point that i knew that i was doomed so i just pulled the plug on it but yeah, I yeah. was going to say that's probably knowing your kind of I, knowing what I do know about your background. I think that was maybe a good decision. So, yeah, <laughs> plus, I don't know. You talk about we talk about going over the handlebars and man, I think of us mountain biking and we went to Moab to the Slick Rock and I was never afraid to just push the limits. And I was the one I was going over the handlebars and getting hurt and crashing badly. Sometimes no fear going downhill. So, yeah. So let's see for for me. Um. Uh, same thing, you know, I grew up in Canada, um, born and raised in the cold climates. And I, I, we did a lot of different, I did a lot of ac different activities growing up, uh, organized and unorganized. Our family would cross country ski in the lake. And I did, uh, my my mom, who mostly raised, my dad was gone all the time growing up. But my mom was a, a total uh, jock um, back in the day. And she really inspired me to just do whatever you want. She was a Man, a total tomboy growing up, I guess is the right, I, that's the word we used back then. I was kind of yeah. too, but she she could play hockey and ball. She played with the boys all the time, which was really unusual, you know, growing up in the 40s and 50s, right? So she was a total stud, but I got to try everything I wanted to do as long as I would kind of complete the year. So I did everything from figure skating and swimming and um, sport, organized sports at school. By the time I was in high school, I really kind of found my niche in a few things, which was, uh, I was a synchronized swimmer. I really liked that and was pretty good and was sort awesome. of provincial level. And um, curling in Canada is a big thing. Um, that's a team sport of four. It's really competitive. Um, the, one of the it's biggest not, highlights not of mine. not very aerobic, though. <laughs> depends if you're sweeping or not. Yeah, well, it depends if, you ha if you're smoking an export A at the same time oh, as you're sweeping. Yeah. There's there a night, there's a curling league here in Bend that gets put on during uh, in the winter. It's totally just like a rec league, and Cor and I have thought about joining it. It could be a fun, you know, you have a couple beers and you do that. We thought it, you know, could you, be should. A you should. It's super fun. Okay. Yes, cool. that's the, the most fun way to do it. Anyway, um, so I was actually that was something that I was really pretty good at, and it was hard when we left Canada. Actually, moved to the U.S. to kind of give that up, but um, through. I guess I learned um, to uh, lift weights and it was always a part of my training in high school fitness and I kind of kept that going throughout my life. But I must say there's a lot of disordered um, 
health in along the way. I had anorexia starting in high school. Um, it stemmed from a lot of a lot of psychological stuff and baggage and things going on, which you know we we could get into later. But uh, which turned into going into college years and then bulimia, and that was like a decade long or more struggle that really impacted you know my health obviously in a negative way. I still kept working out. Um, in college years, things changed a little bit. I kept up with swimming. I started to run a little bit, and then when Tim and I got married, he really got me into trying to run more, which I always struggled with and hated. Um, but as years went on, by the time I was 40, I did my first half marathon and I did a few of those, never anything further than that. Um, and I, the gym has always been important to me, lifting weights, weight training with swimming, cycling, biking. Um, then Tim got me trying all kinds of stuff from you know summer sports like water skiing. He taught me how to be a really good downhill skier. So outdoor activities and doing stuff together has always been really important. And I just like a variety of things. Um, so I guess probably by the time, I'm just trying to think when things started kind of going awry with my body physically and getting injured, the first big thing that happened was actually when I was in med school and I was playing girls intramural football. We had a flag football thing, but it ended up being tackle. <laughs> I, uh, and uh, I got I got tackled and totally blew out my ACL. Had the unhappy triad, uh, ACL, lateral collateral, or medial meniscal tear, medial collateral ligament tear. It was really bad and painful to the point where actually I, I kind of draw. I say dropped out of med school at that point and. Uh, took a year off to try to figure out I was struggling in school not really liking it and try to rehab my knee um, I did get it fixed the year we were um, our final year of med school but then you know 10 years later my graft wore out uh, I was playing tennis the thing popped a year later we were dirt biking in the sand I went over the handlebars got my leg tangled I tore my other ACL oh my, on the, my good leg on the left um, and then I discovered that I probably had some cartilage disorder and I ended up seeing a rheumatologist in 2010 Yeah, and got diagnosed with um, an autoimmune disorder where my cartilage does not like to stick to my body. It's called poly I have polychondritis, probably lupus as, as uh, my rheumatologist thinks now. And so I have tendonitis all the time, especially on the right side of my body. My cartilage doesn't like sticking and I'm always got something going on and as careful as I might be or as much as I like to push myself something happens and so over the years especially over the last 10 to 15 years I feel like I'm going from one orthopedic injury to the next um, and I had a hip replacement in um, 2016 which was surprising and devastating uh, for me because I was I was actually doing a race over in Bend, training for that Happy Girls Half Marathon. And oh, cool. things were going really well. I was in the gym, and all of a sudden, you know, my butt's hurting, and I thought I pulled a muscle. Well, I won't go through the whole story, but it turned out, instead of just being a, a labral cartilage tear, um, it turned out that I had such bad degenerative arthritis. I ended up with a hip replacement within that year. And all of a sudden... I, you know, running was no longer an option. You can you can run with a hip replacement when you're young. It's not advised if you want it to last. And being 50, I thought, no, I want this thing to last. <laughs> yeah. Well, at that time, 
you know, pretty much got told that my other hip would need to be redone. And here we are now. It's like six years later. I just had my other one done and it's not recovering fast. I've had a serious elbow issue for the last three years that, and you, you know about that, that's was a golfing injury turned chronic tendon thing that required surgery this spring. Uh, and this last, so this last decade of my life, I feel like I'm just one orthopedic injury to the next. Despite that, you know, I got to, or I try to do what I can because fitness is really important to my mental health, a part of my life. And I have to try to work around my injuries and limitations and my autoimmune condition. Um, and anything's possible if you just, you know, are smart and kind of do the right things. And so, yeah, I've mourned the loss of running. Um, I, I forgot to throw in there that I even did a triathlon before I had kids. Um, I love that and wish I had it done more with that. But things, all things are possible. But yes, as Tim said, things happen to our body. Injuries happen. Some of us have chronic things and you just have to work around it and do the best you can. And sometimes you're starting over all the time like I am. So. Well, and I, <laughs> and I want to add to that, that, I, that when you're used to being active and you depend on it, I'll speak only for myself as much as I have just for like mental clarity and mental health reasons. When you lose that thing, it's really hard to stay away from it. And you have to, like I've learned with running injuries. If you don't take the time off now, you're going to take way more time off later. Mm -hmm. And that is unbelievably difficult. I mean, it's kind of like going to AA in a bar it turns out poorly. Like you have to put yourself in a situation where it's like, I can't run now. I'm going to just, I'm going to figure something else to do. You have to find that other thing. So yeah. it's, I really encourage people to do more than, you know, one sport. Like you have to do resistance training. You got to do cardio, but you got to mix it up a lot so that when, you know, when one soldier goes down, you have the next, you know, the next thing to put in, in line there. Yeah, for sure. And well, thank you both so much for like sharing your backgrounds a little bit. And you know, may I feel like there's so many things to unpack there that I want to go into, <laughs> which we'll see what we get to today. But I was wondering about the triathlon thing. So I was excited when you brought that up that you did one because I know you said that your son, you know, is, I don't know if he still is, but like was very into the triathlon life at, at some point. Um, but I, you know, one thing I'm personally really loving about the triathlon, you know, training for a triathlon relates to what you were talking about, Tim, with be, it allows you to have those different disciplines where, you know, even within a four month training plan for a triathlon, if you end up getting some injury, like let's say, uh, you know, a very irritated TFL front of your hip, uh, running, you may still be able to very much bike and, and swim pain-free without irritating it more. You just need to take a month off of running, which obviously isn't the most ideal training but it still allows you to keep going which i think is really cool and different from training for a marathon for example where it's like you get a running injury where you need to be out for a month like it's really hard to come back from that um in a four-month training plan right yeah no i i had a i had a really bad shin overuse injury like two months before boston one year and i'm just like this is you know i'm trying to cycle enough and it's just impossible like when you're used to running you know, 18 mile long runs every weekend. Like, it, you know, you have to write, write almost write a century to have it be equivalent. And it's still not the same. Yeah. Yeah, you know? I know exactly. Yeah. I have to tell a quick story real quick. So in uh, 2013 is when I ran my one and only marathon. I, I had just graduated from college 
kind of ended my basketball playing careers and was like, what's next, right? Because I was just so used to being in a training routine. So I was like, why not train for a marathon? I hadn't even ever done like a half marathon before. So anyways, I convinced my dad to also sign up uh, for it with me. And so it was going to be in October. And we started doing this like four-month training plan. And we were maybe like eight weeks out from the marathon. And he got this really bad hamstring um, pole of some sort and pretty much sidelined him, like couldn't run. And I think it was the, I think it was maybe six weeks out. And then like the week or week and a half before the marathon, he's like, you know what? I'm just going to try and go out for a couple short runs, just to even see how it feels. At this point, he, w- <laughs> he wasn't planning to do the marathon anymore, but him and my mom were still going to come up to Portland and, you know, be there for it or whatever. So he goes on a couple short runs. And he's like, you know what? It actually feels okay. So then the marathon day comes along and he's like, you know what? I'm already signed up. I have my registration. I'm just going to, I'm just going to start out with you. Like, and you know, maybe run five miles, maybe a little bit more half marathon most. Right. So he comes out, we start running. He's feeling good. We get past that five mile mark. We get past the eight mile mark. We get to the half marathon mark and my mom is there to like cheer us on. And and she's thinking my dad's going to, you know, step out at that point and be done. And we start running by my mom and I'm like, dad, you know, you're going to be done. And he's like, no, I'm going to keep going. My mom's like, John, like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it. And anyways, he ended up finishing the whole marathon. I think he was maybe hurting a little bit after, but he did. So probably not advisable, but, um, yeah, just one of those things where, you know, I don't know, you're able to tough it out, I guess, but absolutely. Well, um, the, the St. John's done a bunch of those. Yeah. The St. John's bridge is, is, uh, is a very good, uh, discriminator of those who have not trained properly. Definitely. Yeah. I have a visual of that bridge. Actually the hill going up to the bridge is, is bad too. And so I, I start, we start running up the bridge and I can tell my dad's getting a little bit tired. So then I start running backwards thinking I'm like encouraging him, like, let's go dad. And he tells me after like, that was terrible. He's like, you know, I see that you have this energy and I'm like dying. Right. But then I think we got to like the middle, the top of the bridge and, uh, and he, he said he had to walk and my goal was, I was running slow, but my goal was to not walk. So it was at that point where I actually kept going and he like walk ran the, the rest of it. Um, but yeah, that bridge is the decider for sure. <laughs> well, and the um, worst part is it's downhill after that. Mm-hmm. Cause, cause it's at about the, what, 18, 19 mile mark. And then you have this six miles of gentle downhill, which just explodes your quads. Yeah, that, yeah, that, but your legs that, are already hurting and oh, yeah, man. all of that. <laughs> but um, yeah, May, I want to go back to your story a little bit. And if you don't mind, I mean, I even kind of want to go back to sounds like the high school days, you know, when you were dealing with anorexia and then bulimia. And I kind of want to get into that if you're willing to and talk a little bit about, you know, even starting with with the reflection that you've done now in your adult life, why you think that started and um, you know, some of the mental challenges you were dealing with that time. And then definitely I want to get into, you know, how, how you, how you got out of that. Okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've, we've, we've gone through the details in other podcasts. So um, not... Yeah. So I, um, was, uh, sexually abused by a teacher from fourth through sixth grade as a kid. And that was the start of my struggles. I I really think um, I'm, you know, working through all this now, looking back. 
So what happened was um, the way it was, and I was not the only girl that was being abused. This was girls that were being abused by this teacher. Um, and what happened was my best, one of my best friends, her dad was the superintendent at the school. They lived across the street from us. I kind of blew the whistle. And the way it was handled, I think it's also maybe, things were different back then, back in the 70s. But he came over, talked to my parents. Um, I told my story. This person was fired, let go, early retirement, whatever you, and was still present in the small community as long as for the rest of my life growing up there. Um, and my parents never said anything more about it uh, after that. So there was no counseling. There was no talking about how that made you feel. It was just like, just get on with it. Well, there was also no justice. Right. There was, yeah, no, yeah it was just. Which is kind of we'll a put, big we'll deal. We'll put an end to it by <laughs> yeah. ma making this person like go away from being employed. So um, after that, uh, gosh, there's a lot of baggage and issues. My, I was, so many different things, but as far as the eating disorder, staying on track with that topic. Um, then I just was, um, I had bad, I would say not relationships. Cause you know, at the junior high, I didn't have a boyfriend. I was always a sort of a leery of guys. Didn't know how to relate to men after that, just because what had happened. My dad was gone a lot working, probably home three months of the year. He'd be gone stretches of seven months as a pilot. So there was this, relationship that I had with my mom and my grandma that was very abnormal and it was my mom would get a lot of her emotional needs just from this from her mother and me supporting her so it became um very very abnormal the fact that I felt all this pressure to perform I was a smart kid I was like straight A student high achiever you know the teachers were like oh you can do whatever you want there was this pressure to um be perfect and so I just lost control. Well, I felt like I had no control. And the only thing I could control um, was what I ate. Or uh, The body dysmorphic disorder, where it really came from was, honestly, I can think back to maybe one boy, one friend that said, I think it was in 11th grade, something about me being fat. I think I had a crush on him and he liked my friend. And at that point it was like, okay, you know, what can I control in my life? And I think that's, the gist of it having gone through counseling I spent one summer doing like therapy for the abuse and the eating disorder and really as far as unpacking exactly what it was I mean it's just a combination of all those things but that's what happened and so I just remember uh, also having and going through a really dark time in 11th grade um, being really depressed that you know you didn't talk about your feelings um, starting to uh, uh, feel suicidal. I remember one time wanting to overdose on prescription medicines my mom had and sitting on the bathroom floor with this pill bottle ready to just down them all and crying and um, I didn't but uh, really I mean I didn't take all the pills. <laughs> I'm surprised. <laughs> you always got to throw some humor in there. Well no I know it's just like uh. um, no I didn't overdose but felt like it and so I just basically tried to, you know, I would I'd go to the pool. I was a lifeguard and I would swim two miles in the morning and like eat barely anything, toast and an apple. And I got 
this total high off of um, uh, doing that. And it, it, the whole, sorry, going, sometimes when I talk about this, it's, it puts me right back to that time and place and it's really emotional for me and hard. Um, so I, I, I just look back at that and know how disordered my brain was thinking. I would look in the mirror and really see myself as this huge person and changes go on in your brain when you are obviously deprived of nutrients and when you're psychologically affected like that where you really see yourself differently and um, I can just remember looking in the mirror getting on the scale weighing myself seeing a different person than was really there um, and man I just so much pressure that I felt like I could never live up to um, was a lot of it so I went off to college and university and there was this pressure to be a doctor that I wasn't sure that I wanted to be and I hated university the first year or struggled through that got good grades but was really hating it and um, the anorexia turned into bulimia at that point so I kept I was very good at hiding it I learned all the tricks and things to do where people wouldn't discover me and binging and then vomiting and I kept working out. I would still hit the pool and the gym and burn calories and swim and exhaust myself and go to class. And um, this became like a life. And I was severely depressed. And that played into it, uh, affected my studying. And when I got into med school, and then fast forward to when, you know, I talked about tearing my ACL and having that injury happen playing sports, the, the football, at this point, my bulimia was really out of control and uh, my depression was out of control. Did my anybody know about grades it? grades were starting to fail. And yes, I got found, I was just about to say, I got found out by a close friend who was bulimic herself and she started to notice the patterns, the things, you know, there's little tricks of when you disappear from the table and how you're gone right after eating and the way you eat and she called me on it and she said I think you're bulimic and she said I am too and this is a doctor I have and I think you should see her I think she'd be helpful um, and at first I was kind of balking and then I had like a really low moment where I remember literally it's like yeah even alcoholics talk about it I hit my lowest of lows and remember having my head hang in the toilet at home my apartment um, vomiting and just going God if you're really there if you're really real I can't do this anymore I need help and whatever so I went um, saw this doctor who was you know said hey I think you need some counseling um, that's that one summer after you know, of college I did I went into an intensive outpatient therapy program and told my parents I told them that I had bulimia and, and of course they didn't really know what to say they were kind of I think uncomfortable with the whole thing but I did the therapy it was very helpful eye-opening and um, really helped but it didn't cure things um, it, things would wax and wane and it wasn't until Oh gosh, I can't remember exact timeline, but probably a year and a half later, I started going to church and just questioning, you know, I thought, man, if God's getting me help. Maybe there's really God. I started talking to some friends at school that were Christians and 
started going to church with them. Uh, one day out of the blue, something weird, this I call a, a bizarre electrical experience happened, and God called me to the front to go say a prayer with some people at church, and I felt like my body was sort of changed and healed, and I asked Jesus into my heart, and I'm like, I can't do this life without some guidance, and it was a tearful mess, and um, at that point, then, you know, Tim and I had becoming, were becoming friends at college, and it was really um, a few uh, months later when we were talking, and he's like, you know, have you ever thought to ask the, the I'll just say the perpetrator, the, this person that abused you, like, have you ever thought of just thought of that or forgiving him for what happened? Um, and I was like, forgive that, you know, experience. And I worked through that. And one day I just remember we prayed together and I was like, you know what? I can't carry this around anymore. I can't carry someone else's bad behavior and sin and let it affect me. I know it was wrong. It, there's, you know, I'm not condoning it, but it's got power over me that I have to get rid of, and I'm gonna just let God take that on and punish that person, however that needs to happen in this world or the next or karma, whatever you guys you know want to call it. But I believe that that's up to God to punish, and I prayed that uh, God would deal with it, that I could let go of that because it was just wrecking my life physically, emotionally, mentally. And I'm like, I hope this helps. Well, it wasn't, you know, instant, but within yeah. within uh, a year and a half, well, then we went into residency, um, <laughs> and I was still struggling with every being up every third night is not very good, being newly married. Um, I finally had to go on medication, and I started on antidepressant because it was a, a struggle. And it really helped curve some of the cravings uh, we went to church and then all of a sudden one day I said you know what I don't have any obsessions going through my head I have no desire to worry about food I have no desire to like I knew that I knew at that point I have also forgiven this teacher for what had happened because um, of its own issues and faults and sin and I didn't carry that baggage anymore. And so it was not a fast, instant thing, but it was a process. But when I knew that I knew I was healed and over the eating disorder, it was such a release. And for me, I know I, I could remember that moment. And I I know that a lot of patients and people struggle with it life lifelong. I mean, I have an aunt that did, but not, but not me. And I think God really healed me. Uh, I think forgiveness for what happened was a huge, the biggest part of that. And the stuff and the pressures from childhood, and I worked all through that, you know, counseling and reading from the way my mom kind of raised me and the pressures. I'm like, yeah, you know, that could have been that way, but I've got to deal with my life as an adult. I got to make my own decisions. Um, I can't blame my parents for anything anymore. They did what they, they did the best that they could, knowing what the information, you know, and, that they had at the time and they wanted success for me. And so I just released all of that and that's how I was healed. And it's kind of yeah. my fun testimony of how I became a Christian really. 
Well, thank you so much for sharing that, May. And when I asked that question, I had no idea that story, you know, and so um, that was all new to me. And I'm, you know, as you said, I know that something like that trauma and that experience that you went through is not easy to talk about. And even with everything you, you know, have gone through to heal from that and to forgive, I know that it still can it can still affect you in ways that maybe you don't even expect sometimes. So I appreciate you um, sharing that with myself and also my listeners, because, you know, I know that there's a lot of other people out there who have been through, who have been abused or have have some sort of trauma and um, that it affects them kind of lifelong. But one thing that you did talk about, I want to dig into a little bit more. It actually brings up a thought that I've, had quite a bit recently when it comes to forgiveness, because I do think that forgiveness is, oh, and sorry, one thing else I wanted to say is that I'm, I'm sorry that you didn't get justice for that too, because Tim, you said that, and I do think that that is huge and can weigh on you a bit too. Yeah. But, Thanks. but rega- <laughs> yeah, but regarding the forgiveness piece, I, I think forgiveness is huge. And I think that it's almost a skill that a lot of people don't have and it's something you need to like work on but it can benefit you to no end is having the skill to to forgive um other people for their their wrongdoings and so i'm i'm glad that you were able to go through that process but i think for me one thing is sometimes i do feel like i will forgive and i get the benefit of that but i don't forget and I feel like there's a difference between forgive and forget. And I'm just curious if that is something that has resonated with you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, yes, forgiveness is is really rel- relinquishing that the need to punish um, and turning that over to someone else, some other entity, whether it's legal system or God or something. But to say, you know what? Uh, yeah, you screwed up, but I hey I forgive you someone else can carry that that burden and punishment um, but it doesn't mean that what they did was you don't you're not blowing it off absolutely not would I recommend anyone else go near that person no I'm not gonna forget that I'm not gonna you know you're not gonna go back and put, set yourself up to be um, in that same situation what uh, mm-hmm. you wouldn't say oh they made a mistake and therefore um, we'll give you another chance um, it depends on the situation, right? Everything is different. Every every transgression is different. It has to be taken separately. But say smaller things that have come up in the past, it, it just doesn't mean that you would set yourself up or put, say, friends or family in that situation to get hurt again. Um, you don't be a doormat. But really, I think the relinquishing the desire to punish and letting it, it has so much power over you spiritually emotionally your whole self that people don't realize how much it does that and only when you truly forgive and just kind of move on so much changes in so many aspects of your life physically emotionally spiritually and so but you're right it's not forgetting absolutely not and it that person is still you know i could say words and a dirtbag etc and it shouldn't be around other... Well, they're all they're all true, right? And I, I think that that people mistake they they put the forgive and the forget together, which I think yeah. is ridiculous. Yes, it's a common misconception. Yeah, you know, and and you know, you think of it in a marriage. 
you know, and I've said this to tons of people that have gone through like horrific traumas in their marriage. I said, look, here's the deal. Marriages are not based on love. They're based on trust. So if, if you absolutely, you know, whatever has happened to you, whether it's an infidelity, whether this person is verbally abusive, whatever the case may be, if you absolutely cannot trust them, then your marriage is over mm-hmm. because you can love them and you can forgive them, but it doesn't mean that they're worthy of your trust. And, and people confuse that. It's like, well, I could never trust this person. You know, it's like, sometimes I think when people say, I could never forgive this person for something, what they're really saying is I could never trust them again. And that's mm-hmm. fine. But you do have to relinquish the desire to punish or they will punish you spiritually until you are dead. Right. Yep. Yeah, they'll have a very long lasting effect on the rest of your life. Um, I was Cora actually and I just recorded a podcast together for, you know, my podcast and and something that I brought up is that early on in our relationship, I because of past experiences I've had with family and past relationships, I said something to her along the lines of, you know, I just I want us to make a concerted effort to really respect each other through this relationship and remember that we might do thing we might both do things that we can forgive each other for, but there might be things or like but let's not give each other something that we can never forget. Right? I think sometimes that is a misconception that people have, especially the, maybe the stubborn people, people in this world that like, I don't want to ever forgive them. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to forgive them, but what they don't realize is that's having a bigger effect on them, you know, as the person who's not going to forgive. And just because you forgive someone doesn't mean you need to forget, right? You can still, that person still can be out of your life, right? They don't need to be a part of your life anymore or whatever. Um, just because you forgive them. Exactly. And you know, when you harbor that, grudge that hate that unforgiveness in yourself because it's in there somewhere in your brain your heart um it keeps doing negative things um you carry that around and you're carrying that crap around that that burden you're taking that on when you don't need to that's their stuff to carry Mm -hmm. and that's just a simple way to say it but um i think people don't realize how freeing it is to when you well, figure out how to be able to forgive somebody, yeah, um, yeah I mean, how it's, it can it's, change things absolutely. And since we're on this vein, like just just the whole, we live in this culture of offense. Ah, oh, yes. And it's like everyone is. It's like, you know, May and I, we talked about this this weekend. You know, this last weekend, it's like everyone's walking around with with a grenade in each hand and the pins are pulled, and it's like you barely bump them and and the grenade is is exploding in everyone's face. And it's just so, it's just too much, it's just too much work to be offended all the time. Yeah. Like it, it just takes all this psychic energy and, you know, like I, for me, it's driving. Like I just, I, you know, I, it drives me crazy when people are driving slow <laughs> in the left lane or their car's a piece of crap and they can't go more than 35 miles an hour on their country road and we live in the country. But then you start thinking about it and it's just completely insane. Like why would you wreck your day? because somebody has a crappy car like it just doesn't matter but you know we get sucked into this because it's like we give ourselves power or we delude ourselves into thinking we have power if everything offends us whereas you know in today's culture if you're unoffendable that is like being superman like that is a that's a superpower yeah. And, and like you said, it, it's exhausting. And I also think it's very isolating. I think you live a very yes. isolated, lonely life when you are 
just worried about what anyone else is doing. And so I think when, like you said, if you can be someone who can walk around life, drive around life or whatever it is, and, you know, just understand that everyone is dealing with their own challenges, like that person who has the crappy car, you know, probably because they can't afford another car, (laughs) you know? And so everyone's dealing with it when we can understand that a little bit more and show empathy for more people, I think then it, it just, it only benefits me. It benefits me. I'm less lonely. I'm, I'm less exhausted from worrying so much about that. But Tim, I was going to ask you, you know, it sounds like you came into the story with May kind of in the, in the middle of, of it a little bit. And I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, you know, what it's been like to, be a support system for May. And it may, it sounds like, you know, you had that friend who was very um, important in your journey who connected you with that doctor too. So obviously she was very important, but I assume Tim was a piece of, you know, a piece of it too. Yeah. Well, he can share it a second, but I'll say honestly, at the beginning, it was really tough when we we got married four days after we graduated medical school. Um, I wasn't completely sort of healed and worked through all of that. We went and did our residence internship and residency where we were in different call groups and we're that means we're in different rotations so we didn't see each other for the full year except in the obviously in the hospital or passing by every third night you're on call so you're up for 36 hours and then we would see each other at home sleeping shifts kind of a thing and I was still struggling with my depression and really hadn't gotten real proper medical treatment for that part yet and I thought Tim was my knight in shining armor and we'll just make it all better (laughs) i mean that was this i mean i think in the subconscious part of my mind that i was hoping for that because i was still working through so many things and i put all this unfair pressure on him i i think to make me happy and so that when you know man getting through that residency was another story in itself but when we then when we you know finished and I started with the career and still was working through you know, the fact that I didn't think I still really liked medicine and I was not happy. Um, you know, it took me really rediscovering myself and figuring out it wasn't up to him um, or anyone else to make me happy, but me. And so share what it was like from your side dealing with this bag well, no, of it's problems. Fa- <laughs> no, it's fascinating because she came to me and she's like, you're supposed to make me happy. I thought like She actually yeah. asked me and I said, well, here's here's the deal. I'm not going to sleep with the neighbor and um, I'm going to keep working Yeah. and I'll not, you know, sleep in a different room. I'll, you know, I'll do all the stuff I promised to do, but I never promised happy. Happy's your problem. It's not mine. Yeah. Yep. And, I'm and may actually that expectation from the beginning, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm just, and it was fascinating because may read this book and basically this is a book by this old Christian counselor from a million years ago named Larry Crabb, and he wrote a book called Finding God. And he said, most people that come to me don't want to find God. They just want to n- not feel like crap. And and it basically he said, this life is not about being happy. And as soon as May realized that, then she was happy. And, you know, we said, like, I'm, I'm sorry, like, I, I lose my absolute ever-loving mind when people say, I don't really care what my kid does. I just want them happy. Really? Just happy? I mean, Jack yeah, Daniels. Yeah, lots of and, ways to be happy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, Jack Daniels and uh, Pornhub prescription makes a lot of people happy. <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking my kid should aim a little higher than that. I was like, wondering just, what uh, you were going to come up with there. I was wondering. Yeah, I mean, well, I met, I, I met a guy. 
in a parking, you know, we when we used to all cruise around in our hot rods back when I was, you know, 17, 18, and he goes, what are you guys pursuing all this stuff and building all these cars? This is all you need. It's like a, like a, like a box of wine and a, like, porn subscription. <laughs> Literally, this, oh this like, gosh. and you look at the guy and you go, okay, that's what a 45-year-old man looks like that lives like that. Perfect. I am aiming higher. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, just, yeah. it's just exactly. wild. Yeah. You know, so so yeah, life is not about life is way more than being happy. Happy is a side effect of living well and and taking care of yourself and having great relationships and doing all these things that we understand make a difference to to the quality of somebody's life. You do those things, you will be happy. You pursue happy, you will be miserable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if we are just to throw some other words out there, I mean, way better to try and pursue a purpose right versus even happiness yeah that word happiness is not does not lead people in the right i I at least think it doesn't put them in the right mindset i'll say um that's actually gonna make them happy so i totally you know agree with that so yeah it, it sounds like you set that expectation early but i i assume that you know there was still challenging times in those first few years oh yeah no i mean okay you want to talk about challenging times (laughs) thanks for pulling that band-aid off <laughs> so so we uh we're building the house uh we have a 16 16- I'm, I'm looking like such the bad well you're not looking like a bad person at all go for it not at all yeah. not 16, at all. 16 like Wait, we have ahead. a 16 month old may's pregnant with our son we're our like our house is totally destroyed we're living in this you know meager trailer on our property these guys are literally framing it i'm i'm a two weeks away from us going to boston for the marathon and she just looks at me I'm, I'm literally walking out the door to go to work and she goes i don't think i love you anymore Wow. and, and I, I literally like li- the, the only grenade. yeah mm-hmm. the only thing i could think of like i wasn't upset i mean i was upset i was sad but i wasn't angry the only thing that went through my head was tina turner which is what's <laughs> love got to do with it oh, like okay. we have way more at stake here than how you feel right now mm-hmm. like two kids this you know massive expansion of our property, blah blah blah, and I just said, okay, I guess we're going to talk about this later. And I went to work, yeah, Be- because you know you're not going to sit there and try to decipher this. And you know it was amazing because I think that there was a tremendous amount of power that in that and and courage from May's perspective, because most people would bury that and. In, in my opinion, at least in my experience from what I've seen in other relationships, and they would eat that and they it would gnaw at them until they actually didn't love the person. Whereas when you confront that emotional dissonance, you have a chance to solve the problem. Yeah. You know, whereas if you just kept pretending, well, then you're living in a pretend relationship and no one wants to do that. So as painful as that is, I would way rather hear that and work through it because it was real and it was where she was. But it was a major step in us getting to where, you know, it's not like we're on autopilot, but it's way easier now at year going on year 32 than it was at year five. But it, but it was because we were super intentional with those kind of things. Like if it was really that bad and, and, and so much of it for me is just practical. It's, I need this from you mm-hmm. because, yeah. and I can't even explain why, but, but if, but that, and having those conversations is just unbelievably powerful for people. Yeah. And have, I assume at some point after that, you know, 
incident, you guys had that hard conversation. I'm sure it wasn't just one hard conversation. I'm sure it was many hard conversations. But like you said, Tim, I mean, credit to you, May, for even even if it was blurting it out loud or whatever, saying it out loud, um, because that is something where, you know, Cora says sometimes, like, I don't want to be the couple where we're seven years in and, and, um, you know, you rearrange the dishwasher wrong and I slam the dishwasher closed and say, I want a divorce, right? Because that happens too, when you just aren't willing to have those hard conversations, um, no matter how hard they are. So, okay. Well, I'll I'll stop asking about all the challenging times. I know that they were there and, you know, we can, we should be doing but, a know, book on that. I yeah, mean, well, we should, the, but, but, the, but the fact is, is that, you know, most of this all was compressed in the first five or six years. Yeah. And, and I mean, like I try to look back over the last 20 years and, you know, the challenges that we faced were just life. Like, you know, mm-hmm. stuff happens at work or, you know, you change careers or whatever the case may be. And then you're just there for each other. So that, that was totally different. But this idea of, you know, I mean, there was the, the, the last real confrontation is May's like, dude, you got to get in better shape. You let yourself go. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, guilty. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, and, that, and that's like, there's nothing wrong with that conversation. It's way better than holding that inside. It doesn't mean that you throw a pot at somebody screaming at them that <laughs> that they need to change. But yeah, you have the conversation before it gets to that point. And, and it almost sounds so simple and easy when we're talking about it like this, right? Like have the conversation before it becomes a blow up. But how many times have we seen other relationships where that doesn't happen, right? They don't have those conversations. And instead of having it together, they go off and they tell their friends or their you know whoever instead of just talking to the one person who actually matters and and who having a conversation with can actually change something about what's you know going on so yes i think there's so much importance in that um anything else you guys wanted to add to that before i shift gears no i would just say you know just going back to that the the thing about having the conversation is it's it's not easy and here we are, two doctors. We had a lot of training and you know, counseling. Obviously, we learned how to unpack and talk to patients one on one and kind of delve into things. Um, and we've done a lot of marriage counseling classes and read books and you know, learned how to share. But it's still not easy, and you have to develop that as a skill. It's practice like anything else, whether it's like going to the gym or working out or any anything that you're good at it just takes practice and yeah there's it took a long time for me to be able to figure out even how I was feeling to share it with him in a non-attacking way as well shark week instead of you know just reacting and being accusatory and I there I still suck at that sometimes and just crap comes out of my mouth I'm like well that was really hurtful and mean but it gets better the more you practice it and I think if you both do that and are willing to listen and you also have a spouse that you can or a partner that you trust and know has your back no matter what and it's agreed upon then it's non not non-threatening but you feel safe enough to be vulnerable to share that and know well i'm gonna be i'm gonna figure out my crap voice it in a way that they can relate to and understand without being attacking and then hopefully they reciprocally reciprocally say okay you know i don't maybe that's hurtful, but let's talk about how we can 
tactics. I mean, there's skills and tactics, but it takes work, and the more you do yeah, it, but, the but better the, you get. There's another really important skill, and the skill is ignore almost everything. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, and, and that's what people forget. It's yeah. like, yeah, you got to be open and honest and whatever, but you can't be so completely controlled by your feelings that you have to have a gigantic conversation about, you know, why you don't feel uh, cherished as a spouse because, you know, you put the cups in with the handles facing the wrong direction in, in the, in the dishwasher. Like there's a point, there's a point where you're kind of emotionally incontinent and part, and, and it's unhelpful because you really are spraying your emotions on everybody. And there's a point where, you know, especially for a lot of men, they don't want to share how they feel. There, there is, there is a balance in there where, you know, you, the big stuff has to be dealt with, but a lot of stuff that's just irritating because you're living with another person and regardless of whether you're married to them or not, they're going to do stuff that's irritating. Most of that, you just have to learn to ignore because it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, it's funny that this is the turn that this has taken, but because, uh, you know, the episode I just released yesterday with Cora was literally all about that. Instead of ignoring it, we were talking about how there's two different kinds of laughter. There's one where literally something is just funny and you have that like belly laugh about it, right? But the other kind of laughter is just like laughing because you have no other choice, right? You can either be like annoyed or frustrated or you can just kind of laugh it off. Like, you know, Cora's example was me cleaning a table. She always feels like I just like move the crumbs around instead of clean it. <laughs> and at this point she's like, I just laugh it off. Like, you know, I could be like super annoyed and frustrated about it, but I just laugh it off, you know, so... Yes, I agree, Tim. If we, you know, take everything completely to heart and are so emotional about it, that's that's not going to end w well either. And yeah, May, to your point, as, as much as we can say that all these skills are important within a relationship and do this and do that, the reality is just like with anything else in life that's going to be fulfilling, it's going to be freaking hard. <laughs> whether yeah. it's yes. you're trying to achieve something physically, whether you're trying to just be healthy, like be somewhat health, like being somewhat healthy these days is really hard. Like I had a client talking to me the other day and she was basically just saying that, like she was frustrated and she was like, you know what, Christina, it's just, I'm just kind of sick of it. Like I'm sick of it, sick of having to cook food. I'm sick of having to like, think about what I eat. I'm sick of having to like get up before work and get exercise in. I'm, and I'm like, I get it, but that's also just like, you just described like what being a healthy human is. You know what I mean? So yes, it's really hard, but life is just kind of hard, you know? Like I know that's maybe not the best thing for a coach to say sometimes, but sometimes I just have to be real and be like, this is the reality. Yeah, I think, you know, that kind of stuff is totally the truth. It's the stuff that's hard, I think as you work at it and you get a routine and you get better at it, then it's not hard anymore. And then you're like, oh, that used to be hard. Now it's not an issue anymore because it's part of my life, part of yeah. my, you know, whether it's food choices or cooking or working out um, or learning to communicate like we were talking about with someone or letting things go. Yeah, it's hard for a long time. Um, just like doing the school, studying for whatever is hard. And then after a while, it gets better. So uh, everything and some things do stay hard for a, a lifetime. There are some things where... Eh, they and unfortunately, just... <laughs> some things don't stay hard for a lifetime. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh my gosh. We well, on that, that note, <laughs> on that note, on that note, in case anyone's listening to this and is like, you know, I want to hear more from these guys. I want, you guys to, <laughs> I want you guys to share a little bit about your podcast. And if, you know, my listeners kind of want to, you know, tune in to some of your episodes, what they're going to expect, what they're going to get from that. 
Well, they'll get more of the Viagra jokes, that's for sure. <laughs> um, well, we have three episodes now. We have uh, our Thursdays, we drop our interviews that we do with people, which are long formats. Sometimes we do them alone, but usually we have guests. We've had all sorts of different guests. We are, our, our genre, if people care, is tends to center mostly around health, fitness, and medical freedom. So you are your best doctor. We'll try to help guide you into being that. Um, away from ph pharmaceuticals, if possible. Um, and then Mondays, Wednesday nights, we do a live stream, which is called Docktails with Cocktails, where we make a drink and we tell funnier stories. You may have gotten a slight drift with how that goes. <laughs> sometimes it goes very well, and sometimes it, it is, doesn't go off very the rails. well. It goes off the rails. And, yeah, we just like to make fun of you know ourselves, things that we've done. That Docktails episode, we replay it on the podcast on Mondays. And... Um, it is the podcast is called BS Free MD, and um, people can just look it up, Google it on most platforms, the Apple, Spotify, and we have a website that they can look at. And we started putting out a newsletter once a week called Truth Serum, where we just give some highlights of the episode for the week, and then some other just personal photos that we share of doing stuff or something going on and other little tips and tricks. And then Wednesdays we have a ten minute episode called Tru oh, yes. Truth Bomb, which we try to get it's a bit more of on the philosophical side, like you know how, how we how we think, take it or leave it. We did you know we did one on um, what was the first one on courage. It was on courage, and then I did one which absolutely f flips me out because it's so hot outside on heat versus hydration and how important it is for people to avoid heat exhaustion because that will kill you way faster than almost anything else <laughs> when you're active outside. I'm going to read so, that one. I mean, I'm going to listen to that one. Yeah. That sounds interesting. Yeah, because yeah. everyone centers around hydration. Well, hydration will dehydration from activity won't kill you. It's impossible. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it'll make you feel crummy, but it won't kill you. So yeah. um, huh. unless you have cholera and you're running a marathon, <laughs> in which case you might die. Yeah. <laughs> OK, yeah, I'm going to definitely have to listen to that one. And everything that they just mentioned, I'll definitely um, link in our episode description as well. But before I let you guys know, because I know we are kind of hitting our time here. I want to do my rapid fire round with you guys oh, oh since no. I do this with all of my <laughs> guests. <laughs> so I yes, know it. I, I know that you know how this works, <sighs> May, but uh, you know, just for the heck of it. So there's going to be five questions and the goal is to answer the question, Tim, in one word to one sentence max. So if you go over, that's okay, but that's the goal. And yeah. So you guys ready? Yep. Yeah. All right, and you guys can take turns or whoever wants to jump in first, you know, go for it, whatever works. So okay. question number one is what is the best advice you've ever received? That's easy for me. Um, I was working at a camp. This will be more than one word. I was working at a camp. Uh, the counselor said, or the camp director said, I see you as a leader and I see you running away from it. You need to stop being scared of who you are. So the... Bottom line is stop like being it. scared of who you are. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I would say it's probably you. For me, be um, you can you can do um, more than you think that you're capable of. Okay, cool. Number two, what is the worst piece of medical advice out there right now? Wow. Uh, pharma fixes all. Mm. Yeah, I would second that. Like, there's a pill for that. That's probably the worst. Yeah. 
All right, number three, what is something that is inspiring you guys right now? Hmm. Inspiring us. Um, I would say listening to other um, people that are having the courage to speak up on other podcasts. been listening to a lot of podcasts and people that are just speaking up and sharing. That is very inspiring. I totally agree yeah. with that. Yep, that's I agree. Yeah, all right. Um, number four, what is one thing that you're looking forward to with the remainder of the summer? Uh, for us, exploring more of Oregon outside. Cool. Yep. Yep. All right. And then number five, with your podcast, is there a topic or person that you're interviewing that is coming up that you're very excited to either release or record if you haven't done it yet? Yeah, there's there. I mean, there's there's several, uh, but we're we're inter we have no idea how this is going to go. We have an interview with a Christian author, Brant Hansen, who wrote the book Unoffendable, which is a, just a tremendous book, and he mocks himself virtually. Like, there's a chapter in the book called "Everyone's an Idiot Except Me." That gives you a tone of the book. <laughs> okay. So we're interviewing him this week, and that'll be out. We think we're not sure when, uh, probably in the next three or four weeks. So that okay. I'm totally looking forward to. Cool. Agreed. Yeah. That sounds... You've read that book. Uh-huh. How to Be yeah. Unoffendable. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you both so much for being on the podcast. This was a ton of fun, as I, I knew it would be. We came into this with virtually no plan, and it turned out, I think, even better than I would have imagined. So um, I really appreciate your guys' time, and I'm excited to release this out to the world. And um, And yeah, just thank you so much for being on. Thank you. We we loved it. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Christina. It's been um, an honor to be on your show, and uh, I love yours. Love listening to your episodes. So thanks again for having us. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. And yeah, this was awesome. So thanks again. Mm -hmm.